So the big question is this, why well-being conscious women just like us who want to live a healthy and happy life are constantly feeling vulnerable like, what if I get attacked? And so many people who teach self-defense are tough men or martial artists who don't seem to understand what women really go through every day. How can we feel safer and be more confident in our personal safety? That is the question and this channel gives you the answer. My name is Kinko Hamilton and welcome to Rise Up Against Violence. Hi guys, so today I'm so excited to have Jessica Peterson Tierney, who I had a pleasure to meet uh, through the Women's Self-Defense Summit 2020. And she is has such an incredible uh, background, which is including she worked as a social worker for 14 years and served uh, uh, survivors of sexual assaults, domestic violence, and stalking. But also, she was a former executive director for the American Women's Self-Defense Association. So we are going to learn so much from her. So Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely, I'm very excited to have you. So. I, as I just introduced you to the audience, you have such an extensive experience with survivors of domestic abuse, stalking and sexual assaults. Tell us how your experience was and what you learned from your experience. When I first started, I was straight out of college. I got my degree in psychology and I always knew I wanted to do something that was helping people. And when I started at Crisis Intervention, I was the sexual assault advocate. And honestly, at that time, it was just kind of a foot in the door job for me. There wasn't something I really had a passion for, but I wasn't there for very long before violence against women really became my passion. Um, and the thing then too, is after working with survivors for a period of time, it really started to dawn on me that we're doing the women and the girls in our society a huge disservice not teaching them these self-defense skills. And so much of self-defense isn't even the physical stuff, but I like to focus on how we can minimize the risk of being targeted. And ultimately, obviously the goal is to get men to stop committing violence against women, but we're not there yet. And so self-defense is the next best thing. Right, Jessica, very good point. Let's talk about domestic violence because that's a very uh, touchy subject. I understand that, but we have to talk about this because it is a, one of the biggest assaults uh, for the woman. So you talked about the, you know, not only physical, but mental uh, self-defense, right? Yes. Why would, you, like, why would you say the important aspect of not becoming a domestic violence victim? With that, a lot of it is really learning to read those red flags early on. And understanding that, you know, if, if you and I went on a date and on the middle of that first date, I punched you in the face, then when I drop you off at home, I say, can I see you again? You're going to say no. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah, of I'm course. I'm not violent right off the bat. And it starts out where, you know, I'm charming and I'm into you and I, I want to suck you in fast before you realize how I am. And it'll start out with something smaller, like, you know, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but that skirt kind of makes your butt look big. And so it's like, well, you know, it does hurt your feelings, but it's presented like it shouldn't. So you're, you're maybe being overly sensitive. And then I'll move into more of the, oh, you know, your mom doesn't like me. She just doesn't understand us. Your friends don't like us. You know, I just want to spend time with you. And it, over time, it starts to become easier 
to not answer the phone when your mom calls, to not go out with your friends and to you know spend more time with them. And even once I get into the physical stuff, I'm going to be telling you how, well, it's your fault. You did this, you did that. And we both have things we need to work on. And what happens is basically by the time I'm really getting violent, I've already sucked you into a relationship. I've convinced you you're at least partially at fault for it. I've isolated you from anybody who might help you. It's a whole process. And so what we really want to do is help women recognize those red flags early on before they wind up sucked into a, a relationship with one of these people. Hmm. So what would you say, Jessica, if you realize that one day I'm like, oh my gosh, am I abused, right? I think this is something happened to my mom, like, oh my gosh, like after 20 years, I was, I have been abused. Um, I think there are many women like, um, just, you know, simply right under their sleeves and just try not to think about it and realize that one day that, oh my God, I'm actually a victim, right? What would you say? What do we have to do when we find ourselves in the position? And, you know, I think that's something that a lot of survivors have run into is it happens so gradually that they don't really realize it. And I've had ones that have said, well, you know, he's never been physically abusive. And it's like, okay, well, then you're talking to him and it's like, well, he's dragged him around by their hair. He's pushed him down the stairs. And I mean, he's done all these physical things, but their thought is he hasn't made a fist and punched me. And so that whole identifying that this is abuse. And part of the problem is everybody in society says, why doesn't she just leave? She just needs to leave. The problem is that for women who are murdered by their partners, the vast majority are murdered after they left or while they were in the process of leaving. So that, that leaving time is actually the most dangerous time because he's realizing I've lost control over her for good. And with everything else that I've already gotten away with, that step towards being violent or even murdering her isn't as big a step as it would be for us. So we can't just tell victims, you have to leave because mm. that is a dangerous. And that doesn't mean that the majority of women who leave their abusers get murdered because they don't. But it's important that we acknowledge that this is a dangerous time and work on that safety planning with them. And safety planning focuses a lot on, you know, talking about your specific situation. You know, do you have young kids, old kids? Do you have a job? Do you have family in the area? So it's, it's stuff that really has to be tailored to the individual. Absolutely, absolutely. So you worked there for 14 years. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about the stalking. So and the stalking often is a has a big connection to domestic violence that you know once she's gone, and sometimes even while they're in the relationship, he's doing all those, you know, putting trackers on her phone and tracking all of her calls. And you know, we've seen ones where he doesn't want her to have a job. And you know, if she has a job, all the money has to go to him, but he does a lot of I'm gonna call and bug you at work all the time. And I'm going to show up there at work all the time. And eventually I get you in trouble. You get fired because if you don't have a paycheck, it's harder for you to leave me. So they'll engage in a lot of those stalking behaviors, even while they're in the relationship, but especially afterwards. Hmm. So clearly there's those people who stalk others, who they're supposed to be loving, have mental dysfunction, correct? And I, I think it's not so much a mental illness as it, it comes back to this whole need for power and control. Mm. And, it's, and it's not uncommon that we see people who grow up to be abusers did see abuse in their childhoods and that it 
you know, they grew up with it being the norm. But then there's that whole, we see people that grew up in very abusive households that didn't become abusers. So you know, there's, there's a lot of things that go into it that, and I will say this, I have twin boys, and I always kind of lean more towards it's how you're raised, you know, not, you know, when we do the nurture versus nature, but bringing two babies home at the same time, they had very different personalities. So I, I think sometimes maybe there's a little more to that inborn than what we give credit for, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't help it that you're an abuser. It's, you know, there may be stuff that you have to work on more, but you have to have that willingness to work on it too. Hmm. I completely agree with you. It, you are a creature of a habit, so it is how you raised. I think that's you know such, that has such a big impact on the individuals. But let's say you realize that your loved one, your partner, is stalking you. I was talking to somebody, and she said she was helping uh, this woman who had been stalked by her ex-husband, mm-hmm. and she left everything, changed her name, moved to a different state, got a new job, new ID, yet he still found her. And unfortunately, she ended up uh, not making it. But when you find somebody who's stalking you, Jessica, I mean, it is a terrifying, terrifying thing, right? It absolutely is. What do we have to do? Do we have, should we reach out? Like what, what's the right method, right process when you find somebody stalking you? The first thing we always talk about is you document everything. Mm-hmm. So whether it was a phone call, a text, he drove by, doesn't matter how minor it is, you write it down, date, time, what happened, if there was any witnesses. And what that helps do, we, we've improved our stalking laws from where they used to be, oh, I'm sorry, he's got to kill you before we can do anything but you still have to be able to establish there's a pattern of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so that helps us when we've got, here's your journal of everything that's been going on. And that a lot of times can help, you know, we talk about the restraining orders. Restraining orders, just a piece of paper for some abusers, that's enough that they they won't, they'll leave her alone. For some, they're gonna walk right through it. But what that restraining order does is it also unties the police's hands where if I've been, if I've been stalking you, you have to establish that pattern of behaviors. Whereas if you have the restraining order, all I have to do is call you one time and I can be arrested. So that that helps with that. And I always recommend that they get in touch with their local domestic violence sexual assault project because that's what they do is actually help with, with establishing that safety plan. And you can find safety plan online also, you know, that you can download and fill in. But when you have somebody there working with you, it helps it be a little more personalized to your own situation. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jessica. I would like to ask you, Jessica, one thing. So I was in this group and talking to the woman. They are all safety-minded women. And one of them said she's been feeling uh, really uncomfortable with this man who works in the same department, but they work remotely now, right? So we work, they work remotely, but this guy uh, uses chat privately to you know, send her inappropriate things or pictures or stuff like that. And apparently he does that to everybody. And they brought it up to the, um, she and other people brought it to the HR, human resources for the company, but all, and also her boss, but nothing has done to this uh, individual yet. Um, What can they do next? 
know, it is funny that you say that he does it to everybody because I bet he's not doing it to the boss or to the mm. people in HR. And that's what people miss with that stalking a lot and the, you know, the sexual harassment at work and those kind of things. I'm not doing it to just anybody. I'm doing it to somebody that I view myself as not necessarily being over, but that I have the ability that she can't say anything. You know, I have control over her job, over if she gets a raise or not, over if she gets the good, the good hours to work. And that's, you know, that's the first thing if they've gone to HR and they've gone to the bus and there's not anything going on, you have to keep looking at kind of up the ladder. And especially if there's more than one person, I mean, if they get together that there's three or four of us that are having these same experiences. And obviously it depends on what kind of a company it is, what kind of up the line there is, but otherwise it doesn't hurt to, to get an attorney involved either. Mm -hmm. That's an expense that not everybody can afford. Exactly. So let's say if you can't afford to have a lawyer, what would you suggest? In addition to documenting, talking to the HR, and this woman that I'm talking to, she's looking for a job uh, in, in the company, but different location, you know, different department, stuff like that. But it's not um, happening fast yet. And she feels threatened every day. And with, you know, with the legal system, I'm not, you know, in Iowa here, we have Iowa Legal Aid and they offer different legal services to people free of charge. Most of the attorneys also have a certain, um, a certain number of cases or percentage of cases they take every year for pro bono, which is basically for free. That's a part of what they do with their, um, with their licenses and stuff. So I, I still kind of encourage looking around at that. And like if legal aid can't help, they usually have a list of attorneys who might be able to do some pro bono work. Um, and again, I think I would tell them to get in touch with that local service provider that works with the, with the domestic violence, sexual assault and stalking, because they're gonna cover all of that sexual harassment stuff as well, as far as knowing what the resources are, because obviously the resources here in Iowa are gonna be different than, than other states. Right, absolutely. That's been very helpful, Jessica. Thank you so much for the information. You know, Jessica, it's amazing how many women are actually stalked and feel uncomfortable and feel vulnerable every day at work, even working remotely. And that, that feeling is kind of one of the first things that we start talking about because as women, you know, we're all socialized to be nice and to not hurt people's feelings and to take care of people. And so when we find somebody making us uncomfortable, we don't wanna say anything, we don't wanna hurt his feelings. And of course, you know, we don't wanna come across being a bitch. And we've all gotten that message. And I'll say that in classes, you know, I'll say, if you're really assertive and you stand up for yourself and you draw boundaries, what do people say about you? Mm -hmm. And everybody always says, you're a bitch. <laughs> in 20 years, I've never had a class not know that was the answer. <laughs> so yeah, you know, that's true. We've all gotten that. And what's happening though is predators are using that kind of behavior to basically look for a soft target. You know, I'm going to sit too close to you as I'm talking to see how you react maybe touch you too much as I'm talking to see how you respond. I might make some inappropriate comments about your body or I'll ask you inappropriate questions. And then if you say anything, of course, oh, I'm just kidding around. You don't, you know, don't you have a sense of humor? Mm -hmm. Make you feel stupid about it. That's right. That's what they're doing. And for an assertive response to people can actually prevent up to 80% of potential assaults. It doesn't mean it's gonna make that guy be a non-predator but it's minimizing that risk of you being targeted because I know if you're gonna stand up for yourself over something smaller, 
you're more likely to stand up for yourself if I outright attack you. And I want the person that's not going to put up a fight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Jessica, earlier, you mentioned that you have boys and I have boys too. So we have to raise our boys not to become predators and somebody who embrace, uh, you know, woman's absolute gorgeousness and beauty and genuine, you know, uh, all that. But also, don't, we have to educate a woman to stand up, don't we? And that's, you know, I always push that with my boys that, you know, if you're at a party and you see something that looks like it's getting out of hand, I don't care if you can't stand that girl, you have a responsibility to step in and do the right thing and to watch out for each other. And I think it's, you know, it's the same for women. When we're going to a party, we need to watch out for each other. And, you know, if, if you've had one drink and seem inordinately intoxicated, I need to intervene with that. Or if I see that, you know, you're intoxicated and somebody's trying to separate you out, I need to intervene in that, that we need to watch out for each other. But it, it does go back for women. A lot of times they really are, you know, here's what I say in class a lot of times. If for women that have children, picture somebody's attacking your child. Those women will become rabid wolverines. They'll physically take your head and rip it right off of your body. But when you attack that woman directly, it's like she doesn't give herself permission to fight back, you know? And I, part of it too is when those situations happen, they're so surreal that they are kind of stuck in that, I can't believe this is even happening. I'm sure he'll stop. And that's, that's a lot of what we have to work on in classes also is that immediate fast response. Mm -hmm. Normalcy bias, right? Yes. Okay, so Jessica, you just brought up a such great point. What would you suggest for us to, really uh, removing normalcy bias that we have so we can respond uh, appropriately and much faster. And you know, a big part of it is a lot of the same stuff that we're doing around racism and homophobia. And it's trying to raise that awareness in general and trying to get across that equality doesn't mean that we're all the same, but it means we all have equal worth and value. And we really need to get men involved in the movement you know, I know for self-defense classes, I think most women feel more comfortable with a female instructor because they kind of feel like you get it. And if they see that I can perform it, that means they can too. But we need to have men learn to, to call each other out even on sexist jokes. Or if they, um, yeah, well, when my kids were in high school, they had a friend that was kind of engaging in some questionable behaviors and they had a meeting with them that, you know, this isn't okay. And when if we as a female say something to a guy about, you know, that joke's not okay, uh, you're just overly sensitive. You know, when, a, when it's a guy that says it, they're more likely to hear that. So that's part of it is we need to get men on board. And we have a lot of good allies, but we want to keep, keep improving that. Absolutely, absolutely. Jessica, I'm going to go back to normalcy bias again, because I think it, that's one of the things that really stopping us from moving forward uh, in terms of self-defense and also self-development as well, because we, we just don't think what we're thinking, what we're seeing is biased, right? Because mm -hmm. that's why you think that that's how you're conditioned to think. So what are the key points that we think, oh my gosh, am I biased? It is normalcy bias. What, what are those keys, key points? You know, part of it, I always kind of go back to that whole boundary thing and I'll, I'll ask women in class, how many of you ever baked cupcakes for a bake sale when you really didn't want to? 
or babysit somebody's kids when you really didn't want to and kind of get that across that even when it's stuff that it's not violent, it's just everyday stuff, we're not good at telling people no. We're not good at drawing boundaries. And so I like to push that, that, you know, when you get good at drawing boundaries, it not only minimizes your risk of being targeted, but it helps you have a happier life in general when you get to decide what you're comfortable with and what you're not. And so a lot of it's going to go back to that. You have to trust your own instincts. If something feels icky, trust that it is because you're, What's happening is you're, you're picking up on people's body language, on voice inflections, you'll pick up on smells. If I'm really adrenalized because I'm getting ready to attack somebody, it will alter my body smell. And it's not strong enough that people will be like, smells like an attacker, but their subconscious is gonna pick up on something's wrong. Right. And it will manifest as that feeling. And a lot of times when, I'm, when I was working with survivors, when we'd be going over their experiences, they would say prior to the assault, there was something that, that felt off or that they were kind of uncomfortable with, but they didn't know for sure what it was. And so they ignored it. And that's what's happening is your subconscious is registering those things that we don't register consciously. So that's the first thing is anytime you're around somebody and they kind of make you uncomfortable, make a notation of that in your head. And sometimes if it's a coworker, you may not be able to, you know, cut off all contact entirely. But if you know this person kind of creeps you out a little bit, you can make the effort to sit away from them in meetings and to, to start on those boundaries. Absolutely, such a great point. Thank you so much, Jessica, for sharing your knowledge with us. This is just really amazing. I think you're getting a lot of this too, right, ladies? I'm just, all right, so Jessica, you are expert in collision against sexual assault. That was the place that originally that I got my first self-defense training from in way back in 1998. Um, and it wasn't even something they necessarily were doing it as an organization, but there was a woman there who was big into it. And so she was kind of taking that on on her own. Each state has a coalition against domestic violence and a coalition against sexual assault. And the, the state organizations basically oversee the smaller ones. So I worked at crisis, crisis intervention here in Mason City and they were overseen by the Iowa Coalition Against Sexual Assault. So each state has those, and that can help people. If you can find the state coalition, you can find your way to who your local service provider is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So Jessica, you served as an executive director for the American Women's Self-Defense Association. Is this association for the instructors, experts, or for um, anybody? Primarily what we were doing, we were going around and training self-defense instructors on how to teach classes and kind of giving them some, a little bit more background stuff and uh, more places where they could, you know, they could be on the website there and they could use some of our resources. So it was a way of trying to get that, get that instruction out for, for women all over the country. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, one of the things that stuck out of your um, interview sheet is that you talk about the importance of not just hurting, hurting an attacker, but damaging, causing a damage. Tell me, tell us, Jessica, what's the difference between hurting somebody and uh, causing damage? Um, I would think of it this way, like if you, we've all done this where you walk and bang your knee into the coffee table, it hurts. I mean, you kind of stop, you grab your injury, but if the building was on fire, you'd keep going. You know, mm -hmm. it was hurt, but you're not really, damaged right and so 
the thing is, you know, we see all of these awesome fight movies and stuff where they're doing these long fight sequences and they look great. But if you've ever really, I mean, even just fought somebody in the red man suit or any of that stuff, fights are exhausting. I mean, after 30, 60 seconds, you're exhausted. So we can't think that we're going to do one of these big, long, fancy fights. We want to damage them and get out of there. And so we always talk, you know, starting off with the big basics, wind, vision, limbs. If you can take away his ability to breathe, his ability to see you, or his ability to chase you, it's easier to get away. Because kind of what we say is you run away from a fight when you can safely walk away from the fight. And it's going to make a difference also if, if I have attacked you like right outside the mall and if you kind of fight me off, you can run in and there's people versus do you live in the country by yourself and you just woke up and I'm on top of you. With that, you might have to do a little bit heavier, heavier damage. Absolutely. So if an attacker cannot breathe, see, or chase you, you can base, uh, successfully get away from the situation. So tell us, Jessica, what are a few techniques or moves that we must know, every woman should know? When I do classes, we always go through kind of the, the basic strikes, basic kicks, where on the body are you vulnerable to pain and damage? But one of the easiest things on the women, the, the one that women seem the least likely to want to do, but it's bringing those hands up to their head and shoving those thumbs into the eyes. Because if you think even just like if you push on your eye a little bit, we're all squeamish about it. And so the second that you're doing that, he's going to back away and he's going to be doing this, trying to protect himself. That's another where we're outside the mall, you can get away. If we're in home and we're by ourselves, maybe not. But that's, that's a really good basic one. The other one we talk about cupping your hands. Because if you're going for a throat, it's hard to get a fist in there. You're cupping that hand straight in right into there. Mm -hmm. A lot of times what we talk about too is, you know, if you're five foot and your attacker is six foot four, you may have to be aiming at different spots. And so we, we talk about that. What does he have open and how can you get at it? And the thing is like a lot of women are always taught, just kick them where it counts. Well, if I've grabbed you from behind, that option is gone. And men know that that's the only thing women ever get taught as far as defending themselves. So we talk about, I mean, that can be a good target, but don't get locked on that that's what you have to aim for because there's all of these excellent targets. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk about this. So you just mentioned if somebody grabs you, grabs, grabs you from behind, right? You have five mm -hmm. feet, that, uh, this bad guy is six feet. What would you do? It sounds really dumb until you see him doing it, but we say run in place. So like when you're picked up off the ground, you're pumping your arms and legs like you're running in place. For anybody that's tried to control a small child when they're flailing around all over the place, they know what that's like. What happens is he's going to wind up dropping you at that point, but you haven't injured him or harmed him. So you're gonna have to, once you get dropped, turn back around. And if you get dropped and you land on the ground laying, You've got plenty of options there too, because women always get told, oh, don't take a fight to the ground. You're helpless on the ground. Well, you're not. Women's strength is through the lower body. If we're on the ground, we can utilize all that. And so, I mean, we have to cover that stuff a lot because you may not even realize you're in a fight until I'm already on top of you. But that's, that's kind of that first one we talk about just breaking that hold. The other thing is if you can't break free and my plan was to sexually assault you, I still at some point 
have to set you down to get you turned around to get so sometimes we always if if what you're doing isn't working we keep waiting for that next window of opportunity if you try something and it doesn't work you try something else don't do one thing and then be like oh well i tried i'm so glad you said that yes absolutely so now jessica unfortunately our interview time is getting close to the end of the show so I have to ask you this ultimate question. What would you do to overcome what if I get attacked fear? And so many women are afraid of that. Part of it is we want you to be aware, but you don't have to be afraid. It makes sense when you're walking to your car to look around, to glance in the back seat as you're getting in. That doesn't make you paranoid. It doesn't mean you're scared to go places, but you're being aware of your surroundings. And a lot of times classes focus on stuff like that. And so many of the safety tips women are given, even with, you know, park in a well-lit area, walk with your keys between your fingers, everything's geared towards that stranger in the bushes attack. For women, we're far more likely to be attacked by people that we know. So a lot of it's gonna go back to that whole trusting your instincts if something feels icky when you're going out if you're going to a party you know or if you're going on a date I had a girl one time she said um, she was going on a blind date so before they left she had him get out his driver's license she took a picture of it and sent it to her friend this is who I'm out with and I thought I never would have thought of that that's a great idea it really is and but I thought you know on the flip side Women have to worry going on a blind date that we're going to get, you know, raped and murdered and tossed in a ditch. Men going on a blind date are afraid she might be fat. That's so true. I mean, we really are living in a different world. And so that's kind of the thing. Even if guys kind of make fun of you for we're going out, but I want to drive myself and I don't want you to pick me up. You know, that's okay. You draw those boundaries and what makes you comfortable. And if you have somebody that, you know, I'm angry that you want to drive yourself and you won't let me pick you up. That's a red flag because you've drawn a boundary and I'm not respecting it. So a lot of times that will tell you something right there. That's right, Jessica. I absolutely enjoyed your interview. Um, is there any last words, last word of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience, Jessica? You know, I think the, the biggest thing is just that willingness to respect yourself enough that you have people at home that love you and care about you. You have a responsibility to get home to them safely. And if that means that you have to damage somebody so you can get away, that's okay. Absolutely. Well, Jessica Tierney, thank you so much for joining us. And Jessica, the information is down below. So go check it out. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Would you like to get the devices from the world's top self-defense experts? If so, go on and get your pass from www.womensselfdefensesummit.com.